Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. Tony Gonzalez was born and raised here where we make the show, in Southern California. He played football and basketball in high school in Huntington Beach. Then he went to college at UC Berkeley, where again he played both football and basketball, starting for both teams. When I was a kid in the Bay Area, he was playing forward for the Cal basketball team and tight end for the football team. He played tight end a little bit like a basketball player, and he played basketball kind of a lot like a football player but exceptionally great at both sports. As his time in college ended, it started looking like professional sports was a real thing he could actually do. In 1997, he entered the NFL draft. He ended up playing 12 seasons for the Kansas City Chiefs, then another five seasons for the Falcons, an extraordinarily long NFL career. He ranks third in receptions in NFL history. When he finished playing, he went into TV. He's an analyst for Fox Sports, where you'll see him both Sundays and Thursdays, and he just launched his own podcast. It's called Wide Open. Every week he asks people in business, sports, and entertainment to talk about their journey to success. It's a show about becoming the best version of yourself, which he calls leveling up. Here's a clip from a recent episode with Jessica Alba. She's, of course, the star of many films, including uh, Fantastic Four and Sin City, among others. In the episode, they talk about Jessica's childhood, which included a lot of health problems and economic hardships. She got her start as a child actor. In this clip, Tony and Jessica talk about what it's like to go to an audition. She made me read it over. They break your spirit. But she was nice. This lady was nice. And she looks at me on the way out and she puts her arms up like this. And I'm like, what? And she goes, come here. Give me a hug. (laughs) Give me a hug. Because she could see I was just distraught. And, and I was really working hard on this. But I went out to the parking lot and I was like, I'm like, it's one of those, I didn't even start my car. I was just staring out the window for 20 minutes going, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is really, really tough. Yeah. I could only imagine as a child, uh, but you're, but obviously you're, you're better than me. <laughs> with the no, it's, stuff. it's not, I don't know if I am. I think you just have to have a really, have a really hard, it, you build up a very, very tough shell. Tony Gonzalez, welcome to Bullseye. It's so nice to have you on the show. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. You're in a very small group of Bullseye guests who are definitely bigger than me. And <laughs> how big I, are you, though? I, I'm, I like six three, down right now. I'm like 6'3, 215, but you're like 6'5. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I know you probably played at like 250 or 260 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Close. I'm looking at you right now. You're, I'd say, somewhat more fit than I am <laughs> right now. Somewhat. Was there a point in your life where you weren't? almost always the biggest guy around mm. or the biggest person around? No, I was always big. I was always a mute, which is crazy because my father is five five eleven, maybe six foot. Six foot, we'll call it that. My mom is 5'4". And so my brother and I, my biological brother, Chris, he's he's about 6'3", 240 pounds of just muscle. And I'm 6'5", whatever, you know, 250 pounds. I was. I'm not that much anymore. So we just came out like mutes, um, but I was always that big guy. I was, you know, I was, ta- you know, in the back of the class taking the picture, and, you know, my, by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was right around six five, <laughs> and I got size. I thought I was going to be bigger too because I got size sixteen feet, and most people size sixteen feet are up in that six ten 
uh, to, uh, and above. And so, I, I don't know. I was always felt like I got robbed a little bit on the height because my foot is so big. I mean, I imagine by the time you were 16 years old, you were good enough at sports that being that big mostly felt like a positive thing. Mm. But did it always feel like a positive thing for you when you were a kid? Yeah. Absolutely, because I wasn't abnormally tall. I wasn't that guy, but I was just taller than everybody else, usually. And maybe, you know, back then when we were younger, you know, girls grow quicker. The tallest people in the class were the girls, usually like two girls and then me. I was always the tallest boy. So, and I was pretty athletic too. So it was, it was nice. It was an advantage for a young, scary kid like me because I was, just because I was tall and big didn't mean, I, I, was, I was very sensitive and very uh, fearful for whatever reason. I didn't have that side of it. So I'm glad I was tall. <laughs> kind of like ward off a bunch of people. I was going to say, did it? Because sometimes it can have the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes when you are the biggest person around, when trouble goes looking, it lands on you just because it seems like it would be more, it's more interesting. Yeah. Well, from bigger people, I guess. Uh, When I was in eighth grade, uh, I just told the story Uh, and I told it at my Hall of Fame speech. I had a bully that came to from high school to pick on me. And I was in eighth grade. So that's where it was kind of playing against me because still to this day, I have no idea why he wanted to fight me and beat me up. Uh, and actually I had two of them. Um, one through most of my eighth grade year and then one from a different high school who said, I'm going to get in on some of this too. And I'm gonna, I want to beat up Tony. What, how does that even happen? I don't know. Honestly, I don't like, know. Like, were they like waiting for you after school? Is oh, it yeah. kind of like, oh, what, you don't like, know on the your... story? You don't know the I'm story? I'm interested to hear it. Do you want to hear the story? <laughs> yeah. Tell it so much. Um, it's okay. So, yeah, I'll tell it again uh, because it needs to be heard too, because especially for kids out there who go through something like this or anybody going through a bully situation. So it was my eighth grade year. You know, it's about two months into it. I'm feeling good. I'm popular and all that good stuff. But then all of a sudden, I find out that this kid from high school wants to beat me up. So anyways, I'm going to the fight and all these people are there at this park. Like all the schools must have found out about it. And I tur- I do what any normal kid would do. I turn around and I'm like, I'm not fighting this guy. This is a no-win situation. So I went and hid and all the kids were at my house banging on the door trying to get me to come out. They're calling me all types of names. And then it just gets even worse. And it culminates to where I'm at my high- eighth grade graduation and I'm sitting in the stands. He shows up to the graduation. Now, I don't know if he was there to fight me. My whole family's there. After we throw our hats up, congratulations, class, I go and hide. I'm hiding behind a wall. My whole family is looking for me now. They walk up, and it's like out of a movie. I always say it's like out of a movie. And I see the look on my mom's face and my brother's face, and it was that look of disappointment. Like just my brother mouthed the words, what are you doing? And my mom didn't say a word. She just looked at me with absolute just disappointment. And I said to myself in that instant, I will never, ever see that look on their face again. And it changed my life just like that. In an instant, I was no longer going to let fear cripple me and run from any type of situation. I'm going to get it over with. If I have to take a butt whooping, then I'll take a butt whooping, but I'm going to face it right head on. And it changed my life. I went like before that, I was also to Pop Warner, think people know me for football. I quit the first year because I wasn't good. And the second year, my mom made me play because she was like, you cannot quit in this year, Tony. I'll call me Anthony. Anthony, you're not quitting this time. But I still didn't play. You're supposed to get six plays back then in the 80s. And I didn't even get those six plays because it had nothing to do with talent, obviously. It was a fear inside me that I could not shake and I couldn't get over it. That eighth grade bully changed everything for me. I went back out my freshman year of football and I was now like one of the best kids on the team. 
because this whole new attitude shift happened in me. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that it happened. I'm just trying to imagine a world where my mom is disappointed that I didn't get into a fight. <laughs> you don't know my mom, Judy Gonzalez. She's not the milk and cookies mom. She's going to tell you the truth. She's from the south side of Chicago. Grew up somewhat in the in the streets. And she is very like, look, you go face it. No matter what happens, you get it over with and you give it your best shot and you take what comes at you. It doesn't matter. And your life will be better for that. And so she's a very wise woman. I think pretty much all middle schoolers are miserable. There may be not miserable middle schoolers. I'd like to see one. If you're listening and you're in middle school and you're like, yeah, it's chill, email me. I'll send you a note of congratulations. You're probably not doing it the right way. If you're chilling out in junior high, which I believe I'm with you. Oh, I have four kids. It's the worst years uh, of my life. And it's uh, kids, they're so mean at that age to each other because they're trying to find power. So they're mean to each other. Uh, And I tell my kids all the time, I have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old about to approach that. Um, And we homeschool the middle ones. For that reason, honestly, that's a big part of it is because... Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade are so, the hormones are raging. It's such a hard time in those children's life. I kind of want that, let me kind of guide you through that, and then we'll put you back in school when you get to high school. Besides that fight, what do you think you were scared about when you were that age? Um, I was scared of speaking up. And I, that didn't stop in eighth grade. That was kind of carried with me all the way through, <sighs> till like three years ago. <laughs> I was going to say, I I read an article about you that suggested that you didn't address your team. I mean, you played in the NFL for what, like 15 years? Yeah, 17 years. 17 years. Yeah, Most of that time, you were one of the best players in the league. And it wasn't until you retired that you addressed your team. I've never been on a professional football team. I get the impression that there's two categories of players that address the team. One is whoever's the best at addressing the team, and the other is whoever's the best at football. Mm -hmm. And you were one of the best football players on pretty much every team you ever played on. And so I think that had to be a choice. Mm -hmm. I was scared. Scared to speak up. Scared to... What about it was scary to you? I think it was... Who am I? I've always been... You know, people are cocky and arrogant. I think I'm the complete opposite of that, where I was always feeling like I... Like, I wouldn't measure up. Like, I wouldn't say anything inspiring. And who the hell am I to say something to these guys? Oh, yeah, well, you know, you're you're one of the best at your position. Even as I got older, it's like, oh, you've been the 10 Pro Bowls. I was still afraid to speak up, that I wasn't going to blend in. Also, too, that I was going to sound corny, that I was going to sound preachy. I was in my head. And when I played football, the funny thing is I could I could be in my heart. And that's where you want to be in all areas of your life. There's a difference. There's a reason why anybody who's out there played sports – the coach always says, get in your heart. That's a saying that you'll see from Pop Warner to doesn't to the pros. Play with heart today, men. You're going to hear that. Where I could do that on the field, but in the classroom, meaning like the meeting rooms, in normal everyday life, I had a hard time doing that. A lot of people do. That's why a lot of people, you know, I, got, I need a couple drinks of alcohol to loosen up. That's just because you just, you want to get out of your head. You want to get in your heart. That's all that's doing. I'm not surprised to hear that because I feel like, Playing sports, on the on the one hand, there's a lot of responsibilities that you're managing at the same time. On the other hand, you are using your body in a way that almost kind of uh, obliterates your anxiety, like the extent to which you have to stretch what your body can do. 
I, of course, am speaking of age 14 and 15 Little League. In your case, it would be like the NFC Championship game or whatever. <laughs> um, but like that act of being physical is something that you can just pour all those feelings into through, through that physical expression in a way that you can't when you are sitting around looking at a playbook or you know, putting on your shoulder pads or whatever. Yeah, you think you would. And a, a lot of people, maybe they can, but as you level up, as you keep getting better, you can't just rely on that anymore. You can't rely on the physicality of it because you're going to you're gonna have to use your brain and you're going to have to use your heart and you're going to have to connect those two. And they're going to have to work together in harmony. That's what the great ones do. That's, that's kind of the hallmark of, of a Hall of Famer. It's consistency, it's presence, it's getting out of your head, it's playing with your heart, it's fearlessness, it's fulfillment, it's passion. It's all these different words that we use to get us get ourselves going, but you have to be able to express that. And at the professional level, when everybody's equal to you, talent-wise, you, you can't just be like, oh, I'm stronger than you. No, you're not. Or, okay, or, or I'm, I'm faster than you. No, you're not. You're not the fastest guy anymore. Uh, everybody in here runs a 4-3 or whatever. Everybody in here benches 400 pounds. Well, you're no longer special in that regard. And so that was one thing that took me a little while to figure it out when I got to the pros. In fact, I got by on talent and, and hard work. Don't get me wrong. When I say hard work, I did what was asked of me, but I never did extra work. There's a difference. Going, going out there before practice and staying after practice. And when I go home at night, am I thinking about my craft, no matter what it is that you do? I didn't do that. I could just show up and work hard and kick butt. You know, I, once I got to the pros, it said, no, you can't. Not, not with us. Uh, you better start to separate. And you have to learn how to do it. It's a process. You had a remarkably healthy NFL career for a guy who played 17 years of professional football. How did you see the people around you managing their bodies and their pain, the, you know, the kind of natural, not just like the kind of injuries that keep you out of games, but the kind of pain that just comes from it being your job to slam your body into other people's bodies <laughs> and vice versa? Well, we do a lot too. It's all that rehab that we do, cold tanks, hot tubs, uh, laser therapy, you stim you, and nowadays they're doing you know you, supplementation. Uh, you do a bunch of different stuff to try to get your body ready for for it. And then sometimes it's just dealing with the pain. It's just saying it hurts. It hurts bad, but I have to go out there. Um, that was the reason I was able to only miss two games in 17 years. It's because don't act like I didn't get hurt. I mean, I can show you my scars right now. But you go out there and you go anyway. You do the job. And for me, that was what I was fascinated. I grew, it took me 10 years to finally fall in love with that part of it. Because when you're younger, you kind of bounce back quickly. But as I got older, I started seeing, hey, it's not firing like it used to be. And so I started reading books on nutrition, reading books on nutrient timing. Now I'm into intermittent fasting. Now I'm into to all these things to make your body feel better. It's still, it's, and, and sleeping habits, stuff like that. By the way, sleep, the number one thing that you can do over any supplementation, over any nutrition or workout regime, just get your good eight hours of sleep a night, especially as an athlete, and you'll recover faster and better and come back stronger and more focused and balanced and all that good stuff. So uh, that was definitely something that's on a lot of these athletes' mind. It was definitely on my mind. We'll wrap up with Tony Gonzalez in a bit. After a short break, I'll ask about how he transitioned to life after professional sports. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Smartwater. 
Smart water's for the curious drinkers, the ones who are always looking for ways to make things a little bit better. That's why Smart Water created two new ways to hydrate. Smart Water Alkaline with 9 plus pH and Smart Water Antioxidant with added selenium. And now you can order Smart Water by saying, Alexa, order Smart Water. Smart Water, that's pretty smart. Oscar winner Regina King has been acting for more than three decades. But she says it's just in the last few years that she's really coming to her own. Being a mother had a lot to do with getting me to that space. Regina King on her Hollywood long game. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Welcome. Thank you. No Thanks. problem. Thank you. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? Oh. That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now? Soon. Jordan Jesse Go, a real podcast. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Tony Gonzalez. He is, of course, an NFL Hall of Fame tight end. He played for the Chiefs and Falcons and UC Berkeley. These days, he's an analyst on Fox Sports and the host of a brand new podcast called Wide Open with Tony Gonzalez. Let's get back into the interview. You were a tight end, and a tight end has two jobs. They're a sort of hybrid position in football. One of their big jobs is you know, being at the end of the offensive line, uh, blocking people who are rushing the quarterback or trying to tackle a ball carrier. The other is being a receiver, running in space. You loved route running, mm. which is, you know, the the art of the path that the receiver takes. Yep. I have been watching professional football as a, you know, casual football fan for 30 years probably. And I could not tell you the difference between a well-run route and a poorly run route unless I was judging the outcome of the play. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, well, he caught it, so it was probably good. <laughs> Which all that, it's all that matters. <laughs> right. But can you tell me like one, one technique or one difference that you worked very hard on that made a, a big impact on your route running? It was uh, head fakes, you know, throwing your head the opposite way of, of where you're about to go you know, the juke move type thing during the route running and then getting in and out of a break. That's the most important part. I lost my speed as I got older, uh, after 17 years, of course, and being a 37-year-old, a 17-year vet, uh, I'm not as fast as I was when I was 24 and 25, but I could still get out of a route, the quickness out of your route. And that was one thing that I worked on Every single day, I was so conscious of coming out of a break. I would do it without a football being thrown to me. I would work on that a hundred times a day. I would vision that. A vision was a big part of my preparation, still is. Closing your eyes, kind of in a meditative state, opening your heart and seeing the outcome before it happens. And I would always visualize myself coming out of a route as quickly and as explosively as possible. Uh, and then obviously catching the ball. But that those two things, if you can give good head fakes and getting out of a break, you will play a long time and you will be a good football player. You dropped a lot of passes your first couple of years in the league. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was physical problem? Was there a technique that you weren't doing or was it a mental problem? Mental. It was all mental. That, that's another thing that changed my life. Um, 
talk about the bully situation. I talked about this in my Hall of Fame speech, too, because it's important. Dropping 16 balls, leading the league in drop passes, getting benched twice. Best thing that ever happened to me. Because that force, first of all, I never read before that. I, uh, my brother sent me a book of Vince Lombardi quotes. Off of that book, I went out and bought Vince Lombardi's biography. And I started learning about excellence. And off of that, I went and bought Pat Riley's. I went and bought Phil Jackson's. Then I started learning about athletes. And off of that, I started learning about musicians. I started learning about anybody. Uh, it changed everything. It showed me that you can't show up and do what everybody else is doing and think you're going to be better. You can do that when you're younger, when you're more talented than everybody else. But at the professional ranks, it will catch up to you, especially as, you're, as you get older and your skills start to diminish. And so I became obsessed with going out early and catching 100 balls before practice started. I never did this before. I started walking on the field with, cause, walking on the field with confidence, with knowing that I'm there and I'm great. It's kind of the thing you talk yourself into greatness where when the ball's in the air, when I was dropping all those balls, it was like, don't drop the ball, don't drop it, don't drop it. That's not the attitude you need to have. The attitude is, I got this. Here comes this ball, and I got it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Who's guarding me? I'm, even if you're guarding me, I'm going to catch it over your head, and now I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. You have to have that type of attitude, and I never had that before. And, uh, and I've learned that through movers and shakers, watching Michael Jordan when he warms up or his attitude during a game, watching any Great politician, whether you like them or not, the confidence that they have when they're up there giving their talks or their speech. A great CEO of a company, when he walks into that boardroom, he knows exactly what he wants and he knows what he's going for. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't be, you have to be stubborn, but you have to have, you still have to have an open heart, at least the great ones do. Uh, and that's what I always try to do. I had to learn and educate myself on what it means to be successful. Were you able to do that when you did something that disappointed yourself? Sure. Uh, well, I think it taught me how to get through that. Because before I would beat myself up. And everybody knows, when you start going through that spiral of, of defeat, that in me, I went through a b- depression. I started drinking every night. Started just when, not when, caring. When was this? That second year in the league. I'd go home and I would lock myself in a room and drink you know, a, a bunch of mixed drinks and, and sit there and feel sorry for myself. And oh, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this funk. And you hit rock bottom, quote unquote, at least for me. And that was my rock bottom. I know a lot of people are like, you're playing pro football. You should be happy. It's like, no, I'm getting booed by the home crowd and getting benched and getting written up in the paper that he's a bust. He's on his way to being a bust. That kills me. It's never happened to me before. Uh, but it, like I said, it's good to go through those moments. I'm a fan of baseball, San Francisco Giants. My producer, Kevin, who's sitting a few feet from us, is a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. Mm-hmm. The Los Angeles Dodgers have won the National League West division seven or eight years in a row now. Um, And the San Francisco Giants have won three World Series this decade. The Dodgers haven't won a World Series since the late 80s. And, well, on the one hand, I bring that up to taunt my producer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Get him. I, I also bring it up because... The Dodgers have had many better teams than the Giants had the three years they won the World Series. And I don't think that, as much as I love the Giants, I don't think there was anything particularly special about those teams that won the World Series other than that they ended up winning the World Series, at least any more than the other teams they were playing. You know what I mean? Like, there was incredible players on both teams. There were incredible heart on both teams, you know, so on and so forth. And I sometimes hear athletes talk about like all that matters is a championship. And I think like, well, dude, 
there are 30 teams and your career is 10 years. So even if you're good, you got like a one in two and a half chance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like let's put a big influence from how good you are on your team. You got yeah. a one in two and a half chance. Yeah. You played 17 years in the NFL and you never went to the Super Bowl. Mm -mm. Came close, but but never did. And I wonder if you were ever able to like be comfortable with doing your best rather than winning is the only thing or yeah. a, the championship is the only thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's hard though, <laughs> especially as you, you have your individual goals that you want to accomplish. And, and the way I justified it was like, okay, if I can hit my individual goals, then that's going to make the team better. It's going to help the team. But then you start hitting those goals year in and year out. And I started accumulating all pros and pro bowls and I was doing all this stuff, but we still weren't winning. And so then you're like, well, I want to win. I really, really want to win. And it wears on you. Um, I remember in year 12, I, I went and asked for a trade from the Kansas City Chiefs because we weren't good. And I knew we weren't going to be good for the next three or four years because we're rebuilding again. Here we go again to rebuild. I had only been to three playoff games at that point and lost all of them in 12 years. And obviously I was traded to the Atlanta Falcons and now I'm in a winning culture. Uh, but you're right. I had the question... And we, by the way, and then we went to the NFC Championship, went to had four out of five winning seasons. Like it was a dream. I'm, I was, as much as I didn't want to leave Kansas City, you know, it, it worked out. And some of the fans still have a hard time with that, me leaving Kansas City. But I had to. I hope they can understand that. I'm tired of losing. But, anyways, uh, I got the question asked going to the Hall of Fame this year if you could win a Super Bowl, would you trade a Super Bowl for the Hall of Fame jacket for being one of the best players ever? And I think that's a silly question. Almost like, are you crazy to me? Because I put a lot of work in to be as good as I was. It didn't just happen. It never happens. just happens for people. Uh, and you're right. Any, there's a Super Bowl champion every year. And out of those people that win Super Bowl rings, half the team is interchangeable. It's like, like yeah, you're on the team and it was helped. Don't get me wrong. You, you're, you played a role in it, but your role could have been played by somebody else. And there's guys out there that didn't even start, that barely played, that have a Super Bowl ring, but they don't have a Hall, hall of Fame is, to me, that's that's a big deal. Uh, it was a bigger deal than I thought it was going to be to me. And I'm and I'm really proud of that moment in my life. But yeah, it, winning winning isn't, isn't everything, put it that way. Uh, it, it, you want it and you go for it, but you can win in a lot of different ways. I think fulfillment and joy and happiness are more important than having a Super Bowl ring because there's a lot of people out there that win Oscars, win accolades, win Super Bowl rings or championships, can be billionaires, uh, and they're still borderline, or they are depressed, they're on drugs, they're on alcohol, they're committing suicide. They're, it does not mean everything. Uh, what really is more important to me is having a ful fulfilled life and surrounded by great relationships, family and friends. Was it hard for you to know that as a professional athlete, no matter how extraordinary you were, and I mean you were as as extraordinary as a professional athlete could be, or or at least you know one level below Pele. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like no matter how extraordinary you were, you would probably be done by the time you were in your late thirties, mm -hmm. which is when most people's careers are just getting going. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, did I did I ever think about that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did. A lot of a lot of guys don't. That's sad. That's the sad part about it. They think, you know, it's going to last forever, or they just don't even want to think about it because it's too scary. Because it is a scary thought that hey, this is going to be over one day, and then you got to go get a job, or you know, 
or even if you made enough money, which is not the case for a majority of them, they have to go get a job. Even if you made all that money, what, I'm going to sit around and play golf for the next 40 years? It's scary. And so you try to do what you can to prepare yourself for when it does come, but nothing can truly prepare you for starting over again. And even if, and I had something set up for me. I had a television job waiting for me when I got off the football field, and even that wasn't fulfilling for me. I was, and it had nothing to do with my, with my employer at the time, CBS. It was me, mentally and emotionally, that kind of forgot about what made me great on that football field and applying that to my next chapter in life. Uh, and I had to relearn that. I had to remember that, not relearn it. I just had to remember who, to, who the hell I was. And it took three years for me to get to that point. But that's part of it, though. I mean, you have to accept that you're going to go eat it for another couple of years, another three, four, five years, whatever it takes to truly get comfortable at something again. And a lot of guys aren't willing to do that because they feel like, oh, I've arrived. I'm a pro athlete. I don't have to do all that anymore. It's like, well, did you forget that you've been playing this game since you were in Pop Warner or whatever, a young kid, high school, and it took you 10 years to get to that point? It's going to take you that long again to finally get comfortable with something else. Uh, and, and it's it's sad. It's transition. It's not just football players. It's anybody who you could start a company, sell it for a billion dollars, and now you're on to something else. And I, because I've talked to these guys that have built and sold companies, and they're miserable. They're sad because they're like, "What's the next chapter going to be?" They're scared. Am I ever going to be good anymore? That's another thing. That's what scared me. It dawned on me that maybe I peaked, and that's a scary place to be, knowing. Not knowing. You felt like you know it. At the time, I was like, I know I'll never be as good as I was. I'll never have those cheers again. Uh, but you can have those cheers again. You might not have it on that level, but really it's not even about the cheers. It's about the fulfillment. And that's what I was after. And that's what that's what I'm after in my podcast. I want to know how do you get back to that fulfillment. Uh, and I feel like I have figured it out for me, uh, but I'm looking to see that formula from other people. Is there something that you've learned from a guest on Wide Open, your podcast, who is not a professional athlete that has changed the way that you think about the way you do your work now? Oh, I think almost every guest I've ever... By the way, I only had one athlete on there. It's not, it's not about sports at all. It's about leveling up. It's about being the best version of yourself. It's about what lessons, what rituals can you give me to help me be a better version of myself? And I'm asking questions. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there. But I'm asking questions from that perspective. Okay, what can I take from this? What can you teach me? Uh, it's not just about hearing about your accolades. And so a good one is from Scooter Braun. He's uh, a well-known music manager. Music manager, Managed Justin Bieber. Stars, yeah. yeah, all you Justin Bieber fans, you can thank Scooter, Ariana Grande, uh, he, uh, Taylor Swift, a little controversial over him. He told me that everything he does in life, and I believe he's become a friend of mine, is done, never, it's never done with malintent because you have to sit there and accept your critics. And this is what I used to be afraid of. This is why I told you I was afraid to get up in front of a, a locker room and talk to him because I was afraid of the critics. Like, yeah, might, maybe what if the majority of them like it, but the other three or four don't like it? I didn't want to disappoint those four. And he's like, you can't think that way. You have to go out there and let it hang and do think, just keep your heart pure. Just make sure it's not done with malintent. Uh, I, I love that. I love that. And then one thing everybody I brought on so far has that, those moments of just defeat and being crushed by life circumstance. And they learn from it though. 
They all bounce back from it. They don't give up with it. They don't give up on that dream. They keep telling themselves how great they are and how good they're going to be. And they say, well, I'll just, I'm going to figure out a different way. It's going to keep, they're going to keep attacking it from different angles. Uh, and I love that. I love hearing those stories because that helps me when I go through those times. Anytime a self-doubt thought hits my head, it's like, boom, I'm on to something else. And another one is, I think, I forgot, I think it was Mark Laurie or Janice Brian Howard, where they said, everything that's ever good that's ever happened to me has come because I was doing something good for somebody else. And that hit me. I'm like, wow, if you could just live by that principle, taking yourself out of the, the equation uh, where you're putting it on somebody else, that's when life responds to you. Uh, otherwise, you can work your, your butt off doing it the other way, being selfish uh, and working hard, and you'll probably have success, but it won't be fun, it won't be fulfilling, and in the end, it's a lot easier if you just come at it from the standpoint of what can I, how can I help, how can I serve, uh, and then solve problems from that angle. It's a, it's a much better way to live. Tony Gonzalez, I've enjoyed watching you play basketball and football so much, and I've enjoyed getting to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on Bullseye. Thank you. Appreciate it for having me. Tony Gonzalez. His podcast, Wide Open, is weekly. You can catch him on TV doing sports analysis for Fox. He hosts Fox's NFL kickoff on Sundays and Fox's Thursday night football as well. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye produced at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park, beautiful Los Angeles, California, where on our ninth floor ledge, a large chunk of styrofoam, I mean, I'm talking about like a 12, 14 inch chunk of styrofoam appeared. Uh, It was very confusing as to how it got to the ninth floor, Uh, but after a few days, it blew away. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He's the one who writes those scintillating park updates. Uh, Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. It's good. It gives him a chance to shine. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellows are Jordan Cowling and Melissa Duenas. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Our thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And we have decades of interviews, including other athletes. How about Sean Doolittle, who's in the World Series right now? He was on our baseball special a few years back. He's a cool baseball guy. You can check out all of our past interviews on our website at MaximumFun.org or on your favorite podcast app. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. You can keep up with the show there. You can also find us these days at NPR.org. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 